What makes Frontier Toyota so awesome? They make it so easy. They treat people right. They're straightforward. Frontier Toyota is also the proud recipient of Toyota's President's Cabinet Award, one of only 12 dealerships in the nation to win the award. It's our customers. Because at Frontier Toyota, it's about you! Come in or buy online at FrontierToyota.com. Frontier Toyota, Creekside Road in Valencia. Welcome to the Santa Clarita Valley Signal News Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Bender. Some big news from the Signal's digital guru, Danny Diaz. The SCV Signal News Podcast, now available on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, soon to be Google Play, and wherever you like to podcast. So huge shout out to Danny for that one. Subscribe, rate, and review on whatever platform you're on, and share with your friends and neighbors. I want to hear from you about what and who you want to hear on this podcast, email me abender at signalscv.com or connect with me on social media. All those links are at aaronbender.com. Big happenings in the next couple of weeks with kids returning to campus. Saugus Union School District, and I know I keep talking about Saugus Union. That's where my kids go. So I, you know, that that's, that's where my interest lies first and foremost. But The same really goes for the different districts around the Santa Clarita Valley. The governing board of Saugus USD was supposed to have a meeting about it on February 26th, repopulating schools. But Superintendent Dr. Colleen Hawkins explains why that got bumped up to last night. LA County Department of Public Health last Thursday told us that to be prepared by a week from the 16th, which would be about the 23rd. So the soonest that the board could get together was going to be the 26th. So we felt that was responsible. Um, LA County had told us that Thursday morning that we would reach the 25 per 100 or 100,000 on the 16th, they felt, and that then we would have to wait the five consecutive days. I don't know what happened other than what they told us at 9.30 Monday night, but we met the five day, we met the 25 for 100,000 and the five days in that four days. Um, And we could open the next morning. And so Tuesday was a board meeting and we moved as quickly as we could there. And then knowing that we couldn't really wait, um, parents were not going to, Uh, go with us down that road. And and we do still need a little time, you know, to implement things. We moved it up to last night and we had it last night. Okay. So what, what came out of last night's meeting? Cause a a lot was discussed. Yes. A lot was discussed and I will be posting um, the PowerPoint of that with our parent square. And I'm drafting the parent square right now that we're, we're going to send out. Um, Basically the board approved Tuesday night that our first and second grade students and our dual language immersion students that are enrolled in a hybrid model, because as you said, your your children are in uh, SDLA. Right. Um, only the students enrolled in the hybrid models will be returning to school. Okay, so the first and second graders, they return to school on Monday, February 21st or 22nd. Uh, then the board voted that on uh, Thursday, February 25th, our TK and K students will return. 
Um, and then on uh, March 1st, our third and fourth graders will return. And then on March 4th, our fifth and sixth graders will return. They also voted that we would implement uh, what's referred to as an AMPM hybrid model. Uh, originally back in July, we thought we would do uh, two days a week on campus for six hours a day and then three days digitally. We didn't feel um, we had enough staffing to be able to do the appropriate cleaning and things like that. And some of the protocols that were in place that are in place now for staff were not in place last July. So when those switches happened um, and we were told that staff are only allowed to engage with two stable cohorts of kids, it, it made it very difficult for us to look at lunch and recess and all of that supervision. It also made it very uh, difficult as we've learned more about the virus that uh, having lunch, having the kids eat, take their masks off on campus um, would not be more difficult and, and limit our, our safety protocols. And then the final thing was, is, you know, we'd heard from parents all through this. And I think that's the hardest part, you know, for every parent who wants two days a week on and three days a week off, there's another one that wants AM, PM, there's another one that wants digital only. And so we really just wanna help everybody get through this time period, trying to offer them choices, but we decided that we would do the AM, PM model. So right now my principals are assigning uh, families into those AM, PM models. They're, they're trying to maintain siblings, keep every, you know, keep it, it as much together as possible. And that's where we are. Is there enough time for teachers of first and second graders to get things ready for Monday? Yeah, Monday is a quick turnaround. And um, I think Newhall is starting Monday as well. Uh, we're all, you know, we communicate a lot in the Valley. So the four elementary school districts, we've been communicating a lot about uh, giving consistency to our, our, our stakeholders. The reason um, that we feel confident that our first and second grade can turn around is we had done a small cohort model. We'd looked at our first and second graders and the fact that they are learning to read. They, are, they were kindergartners when this whole pandemic started and first graders, and now they're first and second graders. So we know that there's a lot of reading and mathematics instruction that all the digitalness in the world uh, can't replace holding a book in your hand and holding a pencil in your hand and actually touching and counting those things and, and having your teacher observe all the different things that you're doing as a student as you're learning to read and, and compute and understand number. So uh, back in November, we, did a, we started a pilot the three weeks between the Thanksgiving break and the winter break and we brought back um, small cohorts, high needs kids, kids who maybe they had connectivity issues so they couldn't attend school regularly or when they did attend school regularly, they were always cutting in and out, which right. then slows the rest of the class down and all of those things. They may have been our English learners. And so we had already brought back um, up to 12 kids per every first and second grade class in the district. So every single one of those teachers was already back. They were already in their classroom. They've been doing this for several weeks. So while it seems quick, it, it was really, the people it was fast for were, their, were the families. And that's why we approved their uh, date 
on Tuesday night as an emergency item. And we didn't add the rest of them because we wanted to be able to have the conversation with the board and with the community about all of the different things that we were doing. But we also knew that it was really important to stagger and move. And the longer we waited, the closer we're getting to spring break, the closer we're getting to state testing, the closer we're getting to the end of the year. And, and we've heard from our community, they want their kids back in school. Those that don't wanna return, already selected SDLA. So it, it just, it became a no brainer for us. How are you addressing concerns from teachers that, you know, they haven't been vaccinated yet, what's happening with vaccinations and how many teachers have expressed concerns saying, I don't wanna come back until I do have the vaccinations? I think that's one of the, the benefits of how we structured the school year. You know, never having been in a pandemic before, there were no rules for how to do this. There was no course to take to know how to lead this. And so what we did early on was we, we were trying to create stability. So we already moved off those people who would be concerned or felt health compromised or were health compromised into SDLA. They're teaching in SDLA. They're staying in that environment. We've also supported anybody who has, you know, things change. It's been a year. Um, anybody who's had any, you know, changes in their, in their circumstances and they need a, a medical leave, they, they follow that process and, and we've granted them where, wherever we are able to. And, you know, that's part of, that's part of California labor law. So of course we would do that. I think we've worked really closely with our teachers union as well as our classified unions um, to ensure that everybody's safe. We've had zero spread on our campus. We've had some instances where people have had COVID, but you know, they've, they've been exposed to it for different reasons for you know, things they maybe know about or maybe just because they've been out and about and they don't know where they've gotten it from. Um, but we haven't had to close school or close down classes um, or anything like that. And we haven't had those uh, three epidemiologically connected cases on our campus. So we feel really good. And, and that's because our staff take this seriously. They wear their PPE, they implement what we call the big five, which is the social distancing, the wearing of the face masks, the washing of the hands regularly, the keeping to stable groups and staying home when you're sick, right? So we do that. Uh, we are in the process of working with uh, William S. Hart, uh, Saugus sort of took point, we started working with uh, Valencia Labs on uh, possibility of employee testing. So we're going to start some employee testing work with them on the 1st of March. And then the rest of the school districts are working with us and, and we'll use that as a model as they roll out their testing. Hart took point on um, working with Henry Mayo. And last night they had a big uh, meeting. We're doing what's called a closed pod situation where Henry Mayo will offer closed pods for educators as soon as vaccine is available um, so that our teachers can go. And that's another means or route for them. Our, our teachers once, now that it's available and available is kind of a tricky word because you see people getting, educators getting vaccinated in LA um, and, and we are eligible, but mm -hmm. there's no vaccine available. So trying to get one is really difficult. Um, we had a 65 and older scenario set up for all educators with Henry Mayo that we were supposed to do today, but because of lack of vaccine, we've had to extend it to next week. So we're trying all the avenues, but 
we also know that our staff have access to the Magic Mountain site, the you know the Dodger Stadium site, their own health uh, insurance sites. So we're just really encouraging everybody and trying to work with them to get out and, and get those as quickly as possible. And then the more we, we know and can provide those sites, the better. We originally looked at, and all of us did here in the Valley, you know, how could we become sites for, uh, for this delivery because we are community-based, you know, organizations right, like that. Right, right. And, and all these schools have great big parking lots. Yeah, and, and we thought of that. Um, but the challenge is the security for uh, things you don't think about, right? You just think, oh, all hands in, let's do this. Um, security for keeping the vaccine, the ability to have, even if it is the Moderna vaccine, uh, the appropriate temperature, and then the staff to administer the vaccine. Mm -hmm. Many of us have nurses. We have four nurses in Saugus for 15 school sites. They're still responsible, even with kids at home, for all of their health needs. And they've become responsible for all of the health tracing for anybody who is symptomatic, which is a very time and labor intensive piece. So to add the layer of them being approved to give the, uh, the vaccinations, it, it just wasn't something that, a, that an elementary school district could do. Now, Hart also considered it, but I think it was like we all talked about it. And even in working with Henry Mayo, they felt like they have the tool, they have the storage, they just need to have us help with some of the volunteers of maybe monitoring people after they have their shot to see if they have any reactions, things like that. So that's what we've been doing because you don't need to be a trained um, person to watch somebody after they have a shot and alert them that they're having a reaction. Right. So we're, we're working with them that way. And we feel like in the end, that'll be a better model because, you know, there's no waste of vaccine that way. There's no theft of that. Well, hopefully no theft of vaccine that way, those sorts of things. One of the other components of uh, Saugus USD and this whole pandemic is uh, the child development programs. That was one casualty of the pandemic, at least at Saugus Unified. So uh, going back to something you mentioned earlier that was part of the meeting last night was the idea that one of the ways that you can now afford to clean in between the AM and PM sessions is the custodial staff that was assigned to the CDP. Right. Uh, they are, they have, they've been retained because of the contractual obligations, the labor agreements and things like that. Uh, that leads me to then ask, when do you expect to possibly have CDP back in action? Yeah. Um, the, the thing with CDP that is so challenging, first of all, I, I do want to say the the staff that remain from CDP, again, contractually required by the state of California, they are not being paid out of the CDP reserve dollars. We did that to reserve the money to start the program back up again. We are fully committed to starting that program back up again as a district enterprise program, not, I know a lot of people have speculated that we're trying to put it off on some private company or anything like that. That is not the case. That's not been any of the discussions. The problems we run into because of the pandemic is right now we can only have about half of the kids on campus at any one time. Our CDP classrooms, with the current restrictions on them might be able to hold about 28 students. 
unfortunately, the fees generated by those students don't overcome the cost of the program. And so we've already absorbed the cost of those uh, custodial staff, but we, we, we don't have the budget, and that's because we have to, um, but we don't have the budget to, to do those other pieces. So what we're looking at is once we know that many of these restrictions are gone, then we can begin to say, okay, how do we do this? How do we open it back up? Because unfortunately, well, I wish I could say we would go from, you know, the 300 people who, who could come uh, when we had to close the program to the over 1200 students we had before we closed the program, I mean, before we closed for uh, COVID, mm -hmm. I don't know how that works. So it may be a slow start because we've got to ensure that the program pays for itself. And we already did um, have a situation where we laid off people in the spring and brought them back in the summer and then had to lay them off again in, in the winter. And, and that's just not what you do to your employees, right? they can't work for you if that's the kind of work environment they're in. So we wanna make sure that we do this well. We also wanna make sure that we can offer that same great service to our parents. I mean, our parents depend on this and we know it's it's killing them that we don't have that available to them. But the, the hard part is when you think about it, you think, oh, well, of course, everybody would be able to use it because you're only going to school a half day. But if we could have all of those children on campus, then they would be in school. They right, wouldn't right, be right. in the CDP program. So it 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 seems like it should work, but it doesn't work that way. Yeah, so I've got a close family member who, during the meeting last night, was getting texts from her. Uh, she she was a CDP employee, and so she was getting texts from some of her former coworkers, like, "Oh, when? Are, but when are we coming back? When are we? Go yeah, and and that that it's a concern. It, know, it's a on huge many concern. levels." Yeah, we, we're, I'm hopeful, I, I hate to give a time frame. I would, I would love to see um, our summer program come back. It was a great program. Um, and that's just a, a hopeful goal, you know, for us mm -hmm. to go for. But, you know, people ask all the time, what will next school year look like? And I think there's a slide in the, in the presentation. And, you know, I have my little crystal ball here that one of my, <laughs> one of my principals gave me recently. And I wish I could look into it and it could tell me what school will look like next year. Yeah. Um, I think the things parents can count on is we're going to still be here working hard, trying to get the kids back, um, but also trying to make sure that they're safe, that they're happy, that they're well-educated, that they're connected um, both digitally and socially and relationship-wise. And, and that like my principals did a, a video when, when we, uh, open this year and it said we're open and it, it was the idea that we're open to whatever we can make this year be that's as best as it can be for our, for our family yeah so i teach I at cal state i teach at cal state northridge and you know my students are asking what's going to happen in the fall i have no idea yeah, i have no, no idea no. maybe you'll be able to go back on campus a little bit but no idea and, and I know uh, I asked for three to five minutes and I'm thinking I'm, I'm about to take 30 to 50 minutes is what it's, it's, is what it's looking like right now. But I do want to ask finally here, what is your biggest concern heading into next week? Because like you said, pilot program a couple of months ago, it was, it was just that a pilot program with very few students and teachers. 
over the next two weeks, you're going to be repopulating TK to sixth grade. What's your biggest concern? Biggest concern, I think, is uh, check-in. So maybe you can help me with this. Uh, <laughs> parents must complete the symptoms check prior to their children being dropped off at school. It's done through Parent Square. Every day? Every day. You have more than one child, uh, you get to do one form. So it, and it pre-populates everything for you, but it does say that if you have symptoms, please do not come to school. And if you don't fill out the form, we really can't let you in. So that's probably my biggest concern. Um, mainly because of you, you've dropped your kids off at school, right? So yeah. even with half of the student population dropping off and picking up, if everybody doesn't have that form and we have, you know, people slowing down and needing to stop. So uh, I know all of our, our principals are working with the staff, uh, with their parents to get the app on their phone, get your parent square app on your phone, just in case you forget, but please try to fill it out before you get in the car or start to walk to school. Um, that's probably my, my biggest concern for the logistics. I think my other big concern is just helping everybody to scale up. Every time we've brought back a group, we've been able to bring it back fairly uh, slowly and methodically. And I still think even though we're doing this across 15 campuses and with so many grade levels, each time we do it, they'll have a couple of days to sort of gather themselves and realize, okay, this is a little bit different. This is a little bit different. And, and that's something that most people don't think about, but we've learned it over this last year um, from when we started where it was just the principal, the custodian and the office manager on campus. Right. Then we started with teachers on campus and it was suddenly, oh my gosh, oh, we do all have to wear a mask. We do all have to do all these things. And then we started with small cohorts. So it's those kinds of things, just, just helping people and helping people understand that, um, you know, no food, in the classrooms, they're only there for two and a half hours, but it's not that we don't want them to eat, it's that we're trying to not have them take off their masks or right. have to do all that extra cleaning. And, and so it, it's just getting used to that. What we've seen though from the pilot that I know a lot of parents are concerned about is uh, the kids love being back. They wear their masks the whole two and a half hours and they're just fine. Um, we haven't, like I said, we haven't had any spread. They do their little butterfly arms. They know to do butterfly arms to keep themselves uh, six feet apart when they're not sitting in their desks. Their desks are all six feet apart. They know to wash their hands. It's no longer a big deal. They use their hand sanitizer. They are so excited to be back in a physical space with other children their age and their teacher and laughing and reading and learning. And it's just, it's, it's so wonderful, I can't even tell you. <laughs> What's the talk, uh, and just uh, briefly, I know I said the last question would be the last question, but here, this is the last question. Uh, what is the talk either at the district, county, or state level about requiring vaccinations starting next school year? You know what, there hasn't been a conversation about that um, either for staff or for students. So I really don't know the direction that the state legislature is going to go. I know there's a lot of talk right now in the legislature about um, a, you know, additional things to sort of force the issue for districts to return to school. I'm a little nervous about some of those uh, pieces of legislation because of what it might do to our ability to maintain school. Um, but 
I'm going to focus. I think the one thing that has kept us all going in Saugus is we focus on what we can control and what we know at the time. And then we just try to always know that we have to be fluid and adjust. And I think, you know, you asked, how do the teachers feel? Yeah, I'm sure there's some that are nervous, but every single one who's come back and had their kids after the first day, they're like, okay, I remember why I love this. I remember <laughs> why I missed, you know, what, what I missed about it. And it's so much better even with my mask, even with my face shield or, you know, cause we have some special ed classes where the, the teachers and the staff, they, they do wear gowns and face shields and face masks. And that's because they're in extremely close proximity to students for the entire school day. And right. so that's a requirement it's, and the kids are fine. They love it. They, they're so happy to be back with, with their, with their peers and their teachers and doing their same routine. Um, I think for a while, most kids will not complain about going to bed early because you have school tomorrow, doing your homework on a paper pencil way, or that they have to go to school the next day. So yeah. I, I think this is going to be good. My thanks to Saugus USD Superintendent Dr. Colleen Hawkins for joining me on the SCV Signal News podcast. Huge shout out to Pam Dahl at SUSD for helping set that up on short notice. Email me story or guest ideas at abender at signalscv.com and connect with me on social media at aaronbender.com. Thanks for listening to the Santa Clarita Valley Signal News Podcast. Be well, everybody. What makes Frontier Toyota so awesome? They make it so easy. They treat people right. They're straightforward. Frontier Toyota is also the proud recipient of Toyota's President's Cabinet Award, one of only 12 dealerships in the nation to win the award. It's our customers. Because at Frontier Toyota, it's about you! Come in or buy online at FrontierToyota.com. Frontier Toyota, Creekside Road in Valencia.